holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's been, I think, a pretty good week since the last time we spoke. We've had a North London derby which went swimmingly well. A game against Manchester United which didn't go quite as well as we might have liked. But still, when you consider that we had taken just three points from our previous 33... Uh, that we could have taken at Old Trafford, uh, going back to 2006, which was the last time we won there, Emmanuel Adibayor, boo, scoring the goal. And we just played a derby, which took a hell of a lot out of the players, and we lost two players to injury. Rob Holding, we'll talk about in a while. Aaron Ramsey, of course, going off at halftime as well. All those things taken into consideration, four points from six from those games. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that, and I do get the the opportunity missed kind of thing with Manchester United because, well, it's not the strongest United team we've ever seen, and we didn't really cover ourselves in glory when it came to their goals. Both goals, I think you could say, we could have done better with uh, in terms of our defending. Not great from Alex Iwobi on the first one against United. Didn't react and also was way deeper than everybody else when that free kick was taken. So the offside, which was really marginal against Herrera, would have been more emphatic had he kept the defensive line. So uh, that was one thing. And then he didn't really close the ball down quick enough. Not sure Rob Holding did quite enough, but I'm not in the mood to give Rob Holding any grief because it does look as if he is going to be out for some time. They fear at the time of recording that it may well be a cruciate injury, cruciate knee ligament injury, which, if it is the case, is going to rule Rob Holding out for the rest of this season. That's a worry for us because we're not necessarily the strongest team defensively anyway. And in terms of strength and depth, we don't have a great deal of that. We're playing three at the back and we played our three centre-halves against Manchester United, against Tottenham and in the previous game as well. It's also worth pointing out that both Socrates and Mustafi are on four bookings each in the Premier League. So that means next time they're booked in the Premier League, they have to miss a game through suspension, as Granit Xhaka did uh, against Manchester United during the week. Now, we do have Lauren Koscielny coming back from injury, and the timing of that is, is very welcome indeed. He played for the under-21s on Monday night or Tuesday night in the Checker Trade Trophy. Uh, they lost 2-1. He limped off after about 85 minutes. He had cramp, which is understandable considering how little football he's played since May. And he is making his way back from a very serious and very traumatic injury. So the timing of his return is fantastic. But, and there is a but, he is 33 he is coming back from a really, really big injury, one that would have been challenging at 23, let alone 33. 
and it might well take him some time to get back up to full speed, if indeed he can ever get back to full speed. There's, there's got to be question marks. That's all I'm saying. Obviously, I hope that he can, and I hope that he can make a big contribution because I think we need him. We have defensive issues. This unbeaten run is great, but I'm quite sure Unai Emery would prefer if his team wasn't quite so profligate at the back. In 14 Premier League games, he've conceded 20 goals, which is much more than anybody else in the top five. I'm not uh, counting Manchester United in this, but compared to Tottenham, Chelsea, uh, Liverpool and Man City, obviously those two in particular uh, have conceded far fewer goals. So we do need something to make us more solid at the back. An injury to Rob Holding is not going to be one of those things, but maybe the return of of Nacho Monreal and Lauren Koscielny will help uh, as we go forward and go into a very testing period of the year. The festive uh, fixtures really mount up. We're going to talk about some of those in a little uh, few minutes time with our guest. Just to tell you what we've got coming up as well. We've got a t-shirt competition for you, a chance for you, actually for two of you to win a t-shirt today from goodhonestpro.com. They've got some good Arsenal t-shirts on there, so listen out for your chance to uh, to do that a bit later on. It'll be a competition. I'll ask you a question, which will of course be fiendishly difficult, and uh, you can answer the question and you might win yourself a t-shirt. I'll also give the winner of the David Squires book. David was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we'll have the winner of that competition around the same time as I give you a chance to win something else. Uh, What else? Oh, yeah. I just want to say thank you very much indeed to everybody who listens to the show, not just for listening to the show, but for your votes and for all your support, because this week we won an award at the Football Supporters Federation Awards. It was Best Fan Media, something which seems to cause a little bit of confusion to Arsenal fans on Twitter, because a lot of people read that as Best Fran Merida. So much so, and we were not expecting to win the award, that Andrew Allen actually did up a little a little image of best friend Marita, which he was going to tweet when somebody else won the award on Monday night. Andrew and James uh, were there. I couldn't be there because I was doing an event uh, here in Dublin. I committed to that event before I knew we were one of the finalists. Uh, so they were there. They had a lovely free meal and drinks and all that kind of stuff. And they got to win the award. So we are not only best fan media, but best friend Marita. Nobody can come close to us when it comes to being the best friend Marita. We're the best friend Marita we can possibly be. So we're all very, very uh, happy with the award because it wasn't just for me or for Andrew or for James. It was for everybody that contributes to the site. We've got a big team of people working on Ars blog. Tim Stillman, of course, you know, who is doing uh, Arsenal Women and whose column you read every week on ArsBlog.com. George Bird, who does our reserves and youth coverage. We've got a new match reporter this season. Uh, Hatta, he's doing that. Scott is doing the, uh, by the numbers, the stats pieces after all our big games. Uh, this season on Arsblog News as well. And Tom, who looks after things uh, from a technical point of view, uh, has done amazing work in the last uh, four or five weeks. We were having some issues with the site. Whenever something got a bit too big or a bit too exciting, our servers would sort of go... And uh, Tom has made it all better. So everything is working great. And thanks to him for that. And thanks to to all the team for the work that they do and for making sure that you guys have got great Arsenal content to to read and to listen to and to watch and, and everything else. So we're delighted and we want to thank you very much for, for being with us all the way. It's coming up on 17 years now since Ars Blog began. And, you know, I like to think we're doing a good job in this uh, ever-changing new 
media landscape. But we couldn't do it without you. And we couldn't do it without you being with us on a consistent basis and supporting us uh, both here uh, in the podcast, on the site, on Patreon and everything else. So I just want to say a big thank you to you. Thank you. I think that's a big thank you. That was the best I could do uh, at very short notice. Just before we talk to our guests this week, I want to play you a little clip from uh, another podcast. Uh, a comedian, an American comedian called Bill Burr, who I'm sure many of you will uh, know from, well, being a very famous comedian. He's also an actor. He was in Breaking Bad. And a few years ago, he, he, he attended an Arsenal game and he spoke about it on his podcast. So I think he has a little bit of a soft spot for us. In his latest episode, he's uh, talking about being uh, on the road. He's in New York. He's feeling a bit lonely, and he was watching a bit of sport to try and pass some of the time. And he referenced the North London derby when Arsenal, you might remember, beat Tottenham 4-2. You know, we were winning 1-0, and then they went to 2-1, and Eric Dyer was all, shh, remember? And not long later, Eric Dyer was made to look like, well, the right chump that he is. Contributing to Alexandra Lacazette's goal, which put us 3-2 up, and his hapless immobility allowed Lucas Torreira to spin around him, his own gravitational force, and that of his gigantic head, which looks like somebody has taken all the cuttings from a barbershop floor and glued them onto a fucking beach ball. When that's on your shoulders, folks, it is hard to stay upright. Uh, but it's also hard for us not to laugh at him. Anyway, you, I was just trying to set the scene for the Derby, which, of course, you all remember. But this is Bill Burr on his Monday morning podcast talking about that. Hey, what happened over in England with the London Derby, which I thought was like a fucking horse race? This team that I, I never even heard of, I guess, was up 2-1 to one against Arsenal. Arsenal? Arsenal. 1-0 Arsenal, right? They, they're fucking up on them. And then they, they somehow, ended, they were up 2-1. Somehow they lost 4-2. Everybody was losing their fucking minds. Pictures look incredible. I wish I watched the game. Um, having said that, knowing nothing about the Premier League, you know, if you just look at both their uniforms, you know who you're putting the money on. You know, one of them looks like a professional uniform. The other, the people who lost, that looked like a kid drew it. <laughs> so there you go. Some team I've never heard of. Even after he's heard of them, he still hasn't heard of them. That's how irrelevant they are. And I think we can all take his point about the shirt. Uh, thank you to, let me just get it up here, uh, Chris Stavrou for uh, sending that through to me by email and giving me the heads up on that. And you can listen to Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast wherever you get podcasts, of course. Right. Let's get on with the show. And joining me to discuss a week which has been like, I guess, 95% enjoyable, perhaps 5% not as enjoyable as we might like. We've got Gunnar Hollick. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you, Blogs. Thanks for the invite. Looking forward to this. Pleasure as always. And the man from East Lower, good evening to you. Watcher. Watcher. There's a, a bit of variety. We haven't had well, that's what I was looking for. You know, that's, that's what kind of dive in with something a bit different. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't had a watcher in all the years on the podcast. So there's something new for people after 504 episodes. Uh, Hollick, can I start with you, please? Uh, it would be, I think, remiss of us as, as Arsenal fans, regardless of our tenure, however long standing we've been as Arsenal fans, not to talk a little bit again about what happened 
at the Emirates on Sunday because not only was it hugely enjoyable, not only was it a fantastic win over that lot, which is always something that brings us joy and happiness and glee, particularly at this time of the year when goodwill to all men uh, abounds to Arsenal fans, but certainly not to them. It felt like a really significant performance and result under the new manager. It absolutely did. But I'll tell you the best thing about the day, and this is unfair for me to maybe pick on people who weren't at the game, but the atmosphere inside that stadium is unlike anything I've felt for a long, long, long time. Maybe the Barcelona game we won. Mm. I thought that was excellent that night. But right from the very off, three sides of the ground were really up for making sure that it was, I think I saw it described beforehand as a bear pit. And that's what it was. even when Tottenham went 2-1 up, it was even more of a bear pit. So I, I, congratulations to the 12th man and everybody who was in there for adding to the enjoyment of the day. But it had something of everything, didn't it? Had six goals, massive handbags, little bit of banter going on. Uh, <laughs> what's not to love? It was a, a an old school North London derby. Uh, given your uh, seat, were you um, behind behind the opposition? I, I was indeed, and I exchanged the occasional <laughs> viewpoint with Mr. Pochettino. He was fully aware of my um, Present. desire that he should go and say goodbye to his supporters near the end, about 10 minutes from the end, while there were still two of them left in there. <laughs> well, it's kind of you, you know, to, to make him aware of what else is going on. You know, a manager can get very focused on, on what's happening on the pitch. I think it was important that he, you know, were used to seeing empty seats in the Tottenham end, which, of course, he would have been used to this week as well, uh, when about... Eight of them turned up to watch them win, whoever it was the fuck they were playing uh, in midweek. Jim, uh, what did you make of it all? Uh, You know, there's something intangible about days like this and moments like this and performances like this. Uh, You know, we can all analyze games and we can analyze performances and we can break them down these days into stats and we can break them down into bite-sized chunks of analysis here, there and everywhere. But there is something more to football than just what you can take away or put on a spreadsheet or, or even see with your own eyes what you feel is important too and I think there was something very positive that came out of Sunday and and everyone I've spoken to about this agrees yeah definitely I I could not agree more about the atmosphere I think you spoke about it on on the Arscast Extra and I honestly don't we were talking in the pub afterwards and I don't think there's ever been a better atmosphere at the Emirates Uh, I really don't I think Mm. it I think it was the best and um and it's those kind of things that you know you you sort of reaffirm why you go <laughs> why you go to the football because you, it's that sort of visceral um, uh, emotion that you just don't get on the telly. I mean, it's much, as great as it, you, you could feel it coming through the telly, mm. I'm, I'm sure. But being there was you know that's what live sports all about, and and um, it was sort of gladiatorial. It was it was it was wonderful. Just sticking with you, I mean, I suppose the weird thing about football is. Uh, and we know from the cliches that things can change very quickly. A win for us on Sunday put us ahead of them in the Premier League table. Uh, Their win in midweek and our draw in midweek meant that they went ahead of us again, but it doesn't feel like in any way that that's a a blow to us. You know, the way that this season is going, this unbeaten run that we're on, it it just feels more significant that we did to them what we did on Sunday rather than what they did uh, on on Wednesday. Now, was it Southampton that they beat um, on Wednesday? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah, yeah. it was. I, yeah, I think it was a bit of a statement win for, for you know for that reason, and, and um, I think also it doesn't matter that we've gone behind. It doesn't matter one bit because I don't think many people. I, I certainly didn't think we'd be where we are. Really, I don't think I did. Um, you know, at this stage, having you know, I've been unbeaten for nineteen games as it was at the time, um, and being sort of toe to toe. Uh, and having made the kind of improvements that we, whilst we haven't shown them all the time, but we've, we've definitely improved like this. And I think it's been quicker than I expected. I, I really thought this season would be, and it is massively transitional, but I thought it would be more so than this. So I'm sort of uh, getting a lot of early enjoyment out of this and the league position. Maybe if you asked me near the end of the season and we were still there or thereabouts, I'd, it would matter a lot more. But right now, it's not really about that. It's about the team and how it's getting better and how much fun it is. Are we ahead of where you thought we would be, Dave? Yes, I think so, because we have changed to a style of play that Arsene Wenger only used sort of once or twice a season, this high-pressing, very energy-sapping. You can see the work that they've had to do and why they've been training sometimes twice a day rather than just the once. And that takes a lot of getting used to because it probably had an effect on the Manchester United game, what happened on Sunday, where we only had the three days. And I know the players were saying last night, look, that's not an excuse. But they did have one day less than Manchester United to recover from a very, very high intensity game. So I thought it was actually creditable that they did what they did last night. Unfortunately, couldn't get the points. But yes, there are. I didn't expect to be coming to Manchester United in December of 2018 and feeling disappointed that we hadn't won the game. That's how much we've moved on. I think that says a lot. It really does. You know, considering the goals that we gave away were preventable, I think would be a good way of putting it, Jim. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we could have done better on on both those goals. In spite of that, we had chances. Aubameyang had a chance. Mkhitaryan had a chance. You know, Old Trafford is a ground at which we have had little success since our last win there in in 2006. I think we've drawn three times uh, in the intervening years. So in, in the context of what came before the physical effort the players put in, I wasn't too disheartened by the draw at Old Trafford, even if I felt I could understand the frustration from some quarters that they were perhaps there for the taking, if you like. And I do think it speaks to the progress that's been made under Unai Emery, because if you'd said it to people at the start of the season, when you look at this fixture list, would you take four points from six going into those games? I think people would have said yes. Regardless of where the three points came from and where the one point came from, they would have said yes. So if there is some slight disappointment in not doing it, it's illustrative of of what we're doing and and what's good about what we're doing. Yeah, I think the disappointment is not so much in the result for me, but more the manner of the goals that we gave away, especially the second, was very, very frustrating. But um, but even after that, you know, in times gone by, we may have gone on to uh, lose that game because the momentum would have swung back but actually we, we're probably the ones that should have won it um, again with more chances so you know it's it's not really the I think it's a good, it's a good result let's be honest it's you cannot complain with that and, um, and and the bar is slightly higher for us which is which is lovely Mm. Just sticking with you, Jim, the disappointment, I suppose, of Wednesday night, not only were the goals we conceded, but the injuries we picked up. Hopefully Aaron Ramsey isn't going to be too bad, but it does look very bad for Rob Holding. There are fears that he might have done his cruciate ligament. That means the end of the season for him. 
and an area in which we're not necessarily replete with convincing options becomes even weaker. Of course, we loaned Callum Chambers before the season started. Uh, Dinos Mavropanos has not played at all since since May. He's uh, got a groin injury. He appears to be on his way back, but is probably still some way away from being in contention. We have Lauren Koscielny, Nacho Monreal, who could come in. But I suppose that's the risk of playing all three central defenders when you've only got three central defenders. Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel so bad for Rob mm. because it's just well, when you're that age and he's been quite I mean he's 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 very young, he's been pretty patient because he had that sort of breakthrough spell which culminated in the cup final. Um and then wasn't didn't play quite so much last year. And then you think, yeah, you're just getting there and it's it's really exciting to watch um someone like that come through. So and it was so innocuous. That's the thing, you know, you you say it's risky playing all three, and and maybe it is, but you can't you, know, you can't really um, uh, you can't really do much about those kind of injuries because it was it was totally innocuous. But if he's out for the season now, it's, it's desperately sad, and and it kind of it makes it makes the Koscielny coming back rumours mm. so much more important. But he, but even that, you know, even even notwithstanding, if, if he comes back, I think there might be a little dip in the market, in, a dip into the market. Sorry, in in January, and luckily for us, we're only three weeks away from being able to do something about it. Yeah, it was a, a real shame, wasn't it, Dave? Because he, he is one of the players this season who has made uh, genuine progress. I think it's interesting to note that both Bellerin and Rob Holding have improved considerably, even if Unai Emery is still finding it difficult to achieve the solidity he would like in in defence. So it's a real blow for him. And one of those where you look at the incident and you think, ah, oh, there's not much in that. And those often tend to be the ones which which caused the biggest problems. I know some people were, were complaining about Marcus Rashford and the challenge, but you know I, I didn't see a great deal in the challenge. Nothing that we wouldn't, for example, have applauded Lucas Torreira for doing if he got stuck into a, a United player in the same way. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, every word. And I feel desperately sorry for Rob Holding because he must have been knocking on Gareth Southgate's door. He must have been very close to an England call-up. Because mm. if you're playing well for Arsenal, that's the obvious next step. But, well, let's hope we've got 48 hours in which they sort of have to let the swelling go down and reevaluate the thing. But I think they've got a pretty good idea. And I think you could tell that from the way Unai covered it in his press conference afterwards. So, well, He'll prepare for the worst and and hope for a bit of extremely good fortune. Yeah. Do you think in some ways that that, that idea um, of putting all your eggs in one basket, just sticking with you, Dave, is, is kind of why Lacazette is starting from the bench in the last couple of games? I know he's come back from injury, but <laughs> not, only, not only do... Uh, do we need to have something in reserve on the bench? We're also in a situation where we've got two strikers. We're without Danny Welbeck, who um, was a very versatile and useful option. Uh, you know, for Lacazette and for Obama Yang, he could play as a striker. He could play in one of the wide positions. We are not necessarily on bare bones, but it is probably going to give him some pause for thought isn't it when he thinks about how does he use his squad can he use both of his big strikers at the same time and run the risk of one of them getting injured and having having no backup or is it a case do you think that maybe he's just got to have some faith in their fitness and durability uh, and hope that the the ill-fated winds of football don't blow across the pitch when the two of them are on there 
It's funny that this question's fallen to me because I had a very similar discussion last night. Um, the fact that we did play our only three fit central defenders, this was always an accident waiting to happen, but it may have been timed well because I think we played with a back three in the last three matches specifically so that we were ready for the last two, if you get my drift. Mm. And I think the next run of fixtures, we don't play anybody really until Liverpool in Christmas week. I think the next run of fixtures, he was always going to go back to a flat back four and bring Lacazette back in up top. Um, which I think would be his preferred option. I know it then gives us the, the Aubameyang problem, but actually I don't. I don't disagree with ha- having Aubameyang um, into into interweaving, if you like, with Lacazette. So when the play comes down the left, Aubameyang's on the left. When the play comes down the right, Lacazette goes out there and Aubameyang becomes the middleman. And I think there's some more work we can do there with it. But yes, it was, um, I don't like to call it fortunate timing, but I think that was probably the plan anyway. Could be worse timing. Could be worse. Yes. That would be the, yeah. the way to look at it. And yeah, maybe yeah. maybe we're looking at a, a team, because of Emery's tactical flexibility, uh, Jim, we're looking at a team who will adapt. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen him adapt during games. We've seen him adapt from game to game. Different formations, even within games, we're playing different formations. And I think one of the things that went overlooked, not overlooked necessarily, but in the euphoria of winning that Tottenham game, it was not mentioned greatly that uh, we changed formation when Mustafi went uh, off. We went to a back four. We brought the extra man on in midfield, and then we scored the two goals that that won the game. So maybe the back three is for the big games and for the games against the big teams uh, that are more difficult where he needs perhaps a a more solid platform at the back um, to combat the threat that these bigger teams have from an offensive point of view and when we're playing with all due respect etc etc the likes of Huddersfield uh, whoever else we've got coming up this month I should really have looked at the uh, fixture list (laughs) I know that we've got some uh, you know we've got some Burnley okay Southampton Uh, isn't it uh, Brighton as well, I think. Um, yeah, so, you know, those kind of games, he, he may well use a back four and that might ease the burden a bit at the back. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, he's shown to be incredibly flexible and he, he puts it down to luck. I'm not, I'm not sure it's all down to luck. He's incredibly proactive. But I think the other thing maybe about the back three, of course, is that it allows Kalasinac to be a little bit better and be a bit more... And, and we haven't had anyone really who could play in his position. So... Um, uh, yeah, maybe that. Maybe with Montreal back, we'll go, we we don't need it so much. And um, but the other thing, actually, with having Lacazette come off the bench, I I really like it because uh, I think having Aubameyang down the middle, he's better. Um, I know he can play. You know, he's not short of goals, but I think he's better down the middle, more more dangerous. And um, and actually having Lacazette come on come off the bench was against Spurs. It was just fantastic what he did. And you think, well, actually, if you know, if it works, it works. I mean, do you do you have to play them both at the same time? I'm mm. not so sure you do. I'm not sure you do either. I mean, can we just talk maybe a little bit about Aubameyang because he came to the club at a very at a difficult time. It's fair to say. Uh, last January, there were all kinds of things going on 
at Arsenal. We were bad away from home. Uh, there was huge fan frustration. Clearly, the early machinations of removing Arsene Wenger from the job he'd been in for 22 years were underway. We saw even with the signing of Aubameyang when Mislintat and Ivan Gazidis were, were pictured in Dortmund making the deal or going over to do the deal. Um, I believe, uh, and I'm reliably informed, that it was Sven who tipped off a local photographer so the pictures would end up in the, in the German media. You know, there was a lot of power play going on. And Aubameyang came, club record signing. He came into a team. He could only play in the Premier League. Uh, he couldn't play in the European games. Uh, it was a traumatic, difficult time at Arsenal, Jim. And he's come in in these 12 months, more or less, under a new manager, new system, new regime, new coaching, new training, renewal, all that kind of stuff going on. And in 32 appearances for Arsenal, maybe it's 33 now because I think this could have been just before last night. In 32 appearances, he has 22 goals and six assists. Now, a lot of the time he's been playing in a position which he isn't necessarily that comfortable in or which doesn't necessarily get the best out of him. Are we kind of underestimating the talent of this guy if he can produce that in these circumstances? I think he's. I think he's phenomenal. His goal scoring record is a, is phenomenal, and, and as you say, under difficult circumstances, I'd love to know what he was promised when he joined, and obviously not just a hefty pay packet. But um, mm. I, I wonder whether you know, because because he would have known. He's not. He's not daft, and his agents would have, would have known that Arsenal was a. a you know, the atmosphere was a little bit febrile, to put it mildly. Um, so uh, I'd love to know what what how, how the hard sell went on there. But irrespective of that, I'm really glad that the hard sell worked because. You know, it's, it just goes to show that you don't always have to buy young players who might turn out to be good. If you buy the finished product, yes, it costs a bit of money, but even if it's only for a year or two years and, and it brings something, then it's, it's worth it. And um, we've got him at the top of his game, absolute best best years of his life, of his career, I should say. And um, uh, and he's just brilliant. And the, the, weird, the weird thing about him is he, when you watch him is he doesn't always look like he... Um, like he's going to do something. It's not like he's always dangerous, but then you kind of get to the end of the game and you realise that he that you know he's got another goal in, or it's, something's come out of nowhere. And I, he's just quite. It's, I, I really enjoy watching him because I don't quite know what what you're going to get from him. But then at the end of the game, you've always got something. Mm. Dave, what do, what do you make of him? I mean, it's hard not to like him as a player because of what he can do, but I think there's something really quite. Uh, I don't want to say endearing because that sounds patronising, but I think there's something quite positive about his attitude because we heard about the way that the move happened to Arsenal and there were stories about how, you know, it wasn't quite what it should have been between him and Dortmund towards the end. He wanted the move and he made sure he got the move with certain behavior and he did, uh, there were stories where he did apologize for, for some of that behavior and people might have had concerns about how he would behave at Arsenal, but I think he's been absolutely exemplary. He's Somebody who clearly the young players look up to a great deal. He he appears to have a great deal of time for those young players. Uh, I know we can judge or, or read too much into a, a player's social media presence and all that kind of stuff, but it is just, he seems like a big positive ball of energy within a dressing room that needed something like that to provide some kind of um, what's the word a bandage to all the the cuts and wounds and scrapes that had come before 
Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. I think they're all very fair points. I'm enormously impressed with him, but then I always wanted us to sign him. And I can't. I still can't believe that we have Aubameyang and Lacazette at the club at the same time. It is a wonderful problem to have. But like you say, we've been using him more often than not in a role to which he isn't overly accustomed to since he was much younger. And yet he still has those remarkable goal stats. So that's one argument I would make make for including them both because you have to say that Lacazette is also a natural goal scorer but he brings us something that Aubameyang doesn't he's not another Olivier Giroud by any means but he can play with his back to goal you'll have noticed in recent weeks when uh, uh, oh for god's sake Aubameyang has been up top yeah. whenever we've been having to clear long and Leno's done that quite a bit and probably quite a bit more than Petr Cech was doing early doors. Um, the ball's been coming straight back at us. Orba can't do that. Lacazette can do that job. So that's one reason why I would still argue for them both to be in. But now everything you say about Aubameyang, I think, is absolutely spot on. He has been like a breath of fresh air at the club. Uh, we were told he was a bad boy. We haven't had an attitude problem with him. And long may it continue. Mm, you don't mind a bit of bad boy stuff every now and again, you know, but it, it's uh, it's a guy who's come in and just had a, a huge impact on the pitch and off the pitch and the goal-scoring record is is amazing. It's amazing and I think there was a stat going around about how many games it took Ian Wright and Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp to reach 20 goals for Arsenal and Aubameyang is there miles ahead of all of them. You know, I, I don't think he's going to go on and uh, smash records or, or anything like that, but you know he has absolutely hit the ground running, and in the in the circumstances, it's been it's been fantastic. Uh, I don't think, uh, Dave, any discussion of Arsenal at the moment would be worth its salt if we didn't talk about Lucas Torreira and what he has done since he's established himself in the team. Uh, I have to say, as mu- as much as I like Matteo Genduzzi, and I think there's uh, real talent there. Uh, I feel like we kind of miss Xhaka uh, at Old Trafford on on Wednesday night. Just that bit more control, a bit more experience in in the centre of the park. But Torreira has 100% established himself as a key component in this team and Unai Emery's team. And he seems a very self-effacing, very humble kind of a guy. Um, He's come to... uh, uh, a big club in England at only 22 years of age. He's still only 22. Um, South Americans coming to England from Italy are rare. Um, and you might have question marks over them given how rare those moves happen. But he's been absolutely fantastic. Wonderful guy to watch on the pitch. And he's bringing something to this team that we've been missing for so long. And he too seems to have a cracking little personality. I know he he hasn't got the grips with English yet, but when you see the interviews that he gives in Spanish, he just comes across as a thoroughly confident young man pleasant young man and and as you say on the pitch he's given us something we haven't had since let's face it Gilberto Silva was there 
he has that presence. He was, I said before the game against Tottenham that the first tackle was the important one and we needed to send a message. And he did exactly that on Deli Alley. Um, and he, he's doing that job every week. But you can see when you hear such a lot of talk from you know Emery about players and the team progressing, he's now contributing so much more in attacking areas as well. He's always at the back when he's needed. But there are spells where we get on on top of the opposition. And, and for example, the Tottenham game, his goal, oh, there's a wonderful way to get off the mark against uh, North London rivals. Uh, I was so pleased for him. And I think we've got ourselves a proper bargain there. Yeah, hell of a first goal to get, Jim. And when you consider the price tag was £26 million, there are players going for a hell of a lot more in this current market who wouldn't give you anywhere near as much as what Torreira is giving Arsenal right now. Yeah, it's an absolute snip, an absolute snip, and um, yeah, I, I just, I just love the little dude. I think he's, I think he's phenomenal. You know, one of those things I've often wondered if I ever had the chance to talk to Arsene Wenger in a sort of interview type scenario. One of the questions I've always wanted to ask him uh, is, you know, we we had power in our midfield for years under him. Um, and then suddenly we didn't, you know, after Gilberto, and, and, and why? You know, and why, when it was patently obvious, we needed some bite and some dynamism. Um, you know, what, why did we never really end up with it? Was it just bad luck, or was it by design? Because you look at what he, the difference he's made to the side, and, it, and it's huge. And um, uh, and he's absolutely and rightly become a mainstay in, in, in the in the side now. And uh, I also like the way Emery introduced him and. You know, not sort of hello. My name is uh, not that kind of introduction. <laughs> I mean, in the beginning, the Good beginning evening. of the season, no, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't see him, did we? And and you kind of think, yeah, partly that's because he was at the world. Um, you know, partly because uh, he'd been playing. I think was it for for Uruguay. Yeah, it was but, at the um, World Cup, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, so it was partly that, and uh, which we an element of it. But I also quite, I just think psychologically, it's good that you know you can bring someone in a bit slowly, get them a bit hungry, and and, there's a little, and he did a bit the same with Lino as well. And I don't think that's been such a bad thing either because it, it's allowed him to be a bit fresher and to get to see the pace, the pace of the game and the way things happen without diving straight in at the deep end. I'm not saying he wouldn't have been brilliant. He probably would have. But I don't think it's been a bad thing that he didn't really kind of kickstart his Arsenal career until a few games in. It, it feels to me, Jim, like there there's um, perhaps a, a collective decision-making process going on when it comes to to using players. I'm not saying Unai Emery doesn't have final say or anything like that, but when a player does come back from the World Cup and he will have been assessed by this medical team, this new medical team that we've got in, and perhaps it's uh, a little bit ironic we're talking about them because I think generally things have improved uh, considerably in terms of the amount of injuries that we have in a week when we've picked up a, a big injury. But the two injuries that we've we've had this season, Danny Welbeck and Rob Holding, both freak injuries really there's no amount of fitness training or or calisthenics or anything else you can do calisthenics is 1972 again um you know there's no amount of preparation you can do that will will prevent a, pl- a player picking up that kind of injury in in just freak circumstances but i it feels like he was eased back into action because this was the best thing for him coming back from the World Cup and to make sure that he didn't just uh, blast his way into the Premier League then fizzle out around November, December. Easing him in has, has allowed him to to find his form and find his rhythm at a, a really good part of the season. 
yeah, and just adjust, adjust to a new new country and a new club, and you know, it's it's a big and, and I, I think it was a it was a, a really good idea, and the you know the you, you, the temptation would of course you know be when you want to make a big impression and you've got Man City and Chelsea in your first two games to just chuck them in, but he, they didn't, and you know, like you say, whether it was his decision or more collegiate, it it doesn't really matter. I think ultimately, it's it's it was a good decision in hindsight. Uh, just w- when you mentioned Man City and uh, Chelsea at the start of the season, I was looking at some of the fixtures. We've been a little bit unlucky. Uh, Unai Emery's had a little bit of bad luck when it comes to fixtures. You think those two games to kick us off, we have our longest, well, a big long away trip. It would have been our most uh, uh, time-consuming away trip had the game not been moved to Kiev in the Europa League, uh, followed up by a North London derby, then Manchester United three days later. And actually... Later in the season, we have got Manchester United and Tottenham again within a week of each other. And I think there's probably a Europa League game squeezed in the middle of that as well. Um, so the fixture list hasn't really done Unai Emery um, a great deal of favours uh, this season. But I think, you know, clearly so far uh, he's coping very well. But speaking about what's uh, coming up in fixtures and how uh, hectic things are going to get, uh, Dave, we have a uh, Carabao Cup game against Tottenham, a North London derby, and we also have a Europa League game against Carabag as well at home. Both of those games are at home. But when you look at the fixture list, how how do you think we should approach those particular games? It was a very, very young team that went uh, to Kiev to play against uh, Vorskla. I suspect it will be something quite similar for the game against Carabag. Uh, you know, having an eye on the, the, the amount of games and the amount of football we have to play. If Emery can give some players a week off, uh, I think he'd be wise and, and quite right to do so. But I suppose the one I'm curious about is the Tottenham game and how he marries the, the importance of the occasion with the bigger picture and the need to get Premier League points on the board? Like, is anybody going to be that unhappy if we're not in the Carabao Cup? Like, if we lose to, to fuck, I don't know, uh, Wolves in the Carabao Cup, does anybody really care? But obviously, when it's Tottenham, it just adds a little bit of extra something to it. Spawn uh, both uh, both of those Carabag. I think you go with the side that did. So, by the way, played very well when they went out to Kiev. So I think they've possibly earned another crack at it. Um, the Tottenham one worries me in as much as the earlier rounds. What we were doing was actually using the members of the first team squad who weren't playing with just a couple of the kids. Now, of course, a lot of those squad members or first team players are injured. And so I don't know that you'd throw the under 23s into a North London derby for a Carabao Cup quarter final. It would be a hell of a night for them, but mm. Tottenham, I'm pretty sure, uh, will come with a relatively full strength side because I think they must net by now understand the importance to them of winning a trophy at some point because it's <laughs> a glaring omission. It's been a while. Yeah. 
Oh, Jesus <laughs> wept. I did, so, no, I, I think we'll probably see quite a strong side. Maybe he'll give a chance to Emil Smith-Rowe, maybe Eddie Nketiah, but I don't see too much more in the way of youth and reserve than that mm. for that quarter fight. Interesting. Uh, Jim, how do you how do you view that one? I know it's a, a little while away. It's not too far away, but, uh, you know, to me... You know, if he's going to play some fringe players uh, and the guys on the verges of the the first team, I'm absolutely okay with that. Uh, I'm not sure I'd like to see him try and match Tottenham. I think Dave is right. I think Tottenham will come with a pretty a pretty strong side because they don't really have a great deal of depth when it comes to to their squad anyway. Um, so I think it's going to be strong enough. But I, you know, I think we have to look at the bigger picture. I think we have to look at the fact that we've got another three or four games, uh, you know, after that one b- before the end of the year, and one of those is is Liverpool at Anfield. So, do we have to kind of bite our tongues if he decides to not pay as close attention to that game as as some people might like? I think. I, I mean, I agree with obviously the Car- Carabag one. We're through the top top of that group anyway. He can play who he likes. Um, we can stick the under 15s out. It wouldn't make any difference, would it? So um, I, I think that one is is the one that you you, don't, you can just do what you like with. But the Spurs one, I'm not so sure he'll change that much. As in, as in, I don't I don't think he'll go that week. Um, it'll partly because momentum is such an important thing, you know, to, to keep that up. Um, I think also the fact that we, you know, a lot of people didn't expect us to to turn Spurs over in the way we did, and suddenly I think you know there's. Um, that kind of narrative of Arsenal, you know, roaring back. And I think actually it would be nice to keep that up. Mm. So I, I personally, um, and also at some point, you know, you, you, I think Emery wants to win a trophy. Let's be honest. You know, he, he, uh, no one's going to last 22 years at any football club anymore. Mm. And he knows that he knows that. And uh, he knows that he'll be judged at the end of the season. And then at the one after that, and, and ultimately his tenure, uh, just as it was at PSG will, will depend on, on, on success, things like that. And I think once it gets to the quarterfinal, He'll say, "Well, look, got a good chance of this. So uh, now's the time just to to go to go for it." So I'm, I think he'll put put out a very very strong side against Spurs and risk it, mm. as in risk risk there being injuries. Because I think momentum, the fact it's Spurs, and the fact that he too needs you know, he, this side needs to win something too. Um, his you know, and he needs to. So I, yeah. I think he'll he'll take it seriously. Fair enough, fair enough. I, you know, just just sometimes I look at the fixtures and I think, uh oh." You know, maybe we we can't risk certain things, but I'm just looking at them here. We know we've got Huddersfield, then Carabag, Southampton on the 16th, Tottenham on the 19th, which will be a, a, a fairly well rotated squad, even if he does add some uh, strength and experience to it. Then it's four days later we've got Burnley. Four days later we've got Brighton. Three days after that we've got Liverpool. And then I suppose the one that will be really challenging is an away trip to Fulham. Just two days after a, a trip to Anfield. No, we've got Fulham at home, rather. Right? Sorry, yeah. yeah, Fulham at home on New Year's Day. So, so maybe, maybe uh, I'm just being a bit too cautious about the whole thing, and we should play everyone and just fuck them up. I think maybe that's a I good idea. So. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. You know, it was it, it was it was 
so delicious. Let's not, let's not, uh, let's not risk it. I think, I think he's got to go for it. Okay. Well, on that note, I think, uh, you know, fucking up Tottenham again is something we can all get behind. Um, and uh, I think that might be a good point at which to leave this conversation. So I'm delighted to have shared it with you and the uh, fucking up of Tottenham and the enjoyment of fucking up Tottenham last Sunday. Uh, <laughs> Holic, a pleasure as always. Thank you ever so much, Vlogs. I enjoyed it a lot. Jim, thanks a million. Cheers, no problem, thanks. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much indeed to Gunnar Holick. You can find him on Twitter at the Gunnar Holick and also at GunnarHollick.com and the man from East Lower. He is at East Lower and occasionally uh, blogging at eastlower.co.uk. That's eastlower.co.uk. Perhaps this uh, new Unai Emery era is, uh, is going to spark him into a new era uh, of blogging. A bit like when Saul Campbell came back to play for Arsenal. Something like that. I reckon... I reckon that's what it is. Now, I told you I would give you the winner of the David Squires book competition. David Squires, whose cartoons I'm sure you all know are in the uh, in the Guardian. Amazing stuff. This week's one was particularly great, where uh, Unai Emery spoke about uh, about how he's learning English, about how he's watching um, uh, Peaky Blinders, Peaky Blinders to learn English. Not an easy show to learn English from. Just sort of imagine him going around the training ground going, Good eyes, good eyes. Spoiler alert, she... I mean, holy shit, wow. I mean, anyway. If you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. Anyway, David Squires uh, doing Gunnersaurus as one of the Peaky Blinders in his latest cartoon was a moment of uh, of great genius. Uh, on top of all the other fantastic genius moments uh, that David has produced in his cartoons down the years. The question I asked you was about which um, Arsenal boardroom member appears in his cartoons quite regularly. The answer was Sir Chips. And the winner of the uh, the book is Russell Hickman. Russell Hickman, well done to you. Thank you to everyone else for the entries to the competition. Russell, I'll be in touch. I'll get your address and we'll get the book sent out to you as soon as we can. If you didn't win, fear not. We've got another competition for you. We have two t-shirts to give away with thanks to our friends at goodhonestpro.com. That's goodhonestpro.com. Just visit the website and pick whichever t-shirt you would like and answer this terribly difficult question. Lucas Torreira signed for Arsenal this summer from an Italian club. Which Italian club did Lucas Torreira sign from? 
answers, please, to uh, competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com, and we will give you the winner on next week's show. So, this weekend, we've got a game against Huddersfield. We've got some team news. It doesn't look like Mesut Ozil is going to be fit. What is the sound of a 47-year-old man shrugging? I'll tell you, this is what it is. That's it. You can't hear a shrug. Unless you have sound effects like uh, the guy from Police Academy, which would be amazing, because it could be like... But I'd hate that, you know, on a general level, because I, I shrug quite a lot. Yep. Quite the shrugger. Anyway... We've got a game against Huddersfield. Unai Emery has got some decisions to make about his team. He might well have to rotate a little because it's been a hard week. The Tottenham game was tough. The Manchester United game was tough. And we may see some changes for a home game against uh, against Huddersfield on Saturday. Hopefully, we can continue the winning run. It's 20 games unbeaten. It would be nice to make that 21. It would be nice to make that 21 with three points. James and I will be here on Monday, perhaps Sunday or Monday. I don't know yet, but we will have an Arscast Extra for you after the Huddersfield game. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you, as ever, for listening. We really do appreciate it. So until the next one, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Join me here on the Tottenham Marshes, one of the most isolated, desolate, loneliest places on the face of this planet. And we're here because this is the home of one of the strangest mammals you'll ever see. The Eric Dyer. A fully grown Eric Dyer can weigh up to 95 kilos and is easily distinguishable because its head looks like a badly inflated balloon. But what makes the Eric Dyer so remarkable is not just his grotesque physical appearance, but his behavior. Lacking any kind of self-awareness, he openly taunts other creatures far superior, more intelligent, stronger, and more successful. On a visit to neighboring territory, he finds some scraps on the floor. He puts his fingers to his lips as if to say, shush, but his joy is short-lived. As the Eric Dyer makes his way back to his own lair, he gets absolutely fucked up by a little Uruguayan. For a long time, he lies on the floor. Most creatures would learn a lesson, but not the Eric Dyer. Quite how it's managed to survive this length of time without extinction, nobody knows. Very often, nature amazes us with her perfection. But sometimes, as in the case of the Eric Dyer, we realize that not everything goes 
according to plan. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.